in the middle of a miracle is what I want to talk about today. Um, we just, I just believe that is where we need to be, where we are. If uh, Parker asked earlier, you know, who needs a miracle in this house? And I believe there's a lot of people who need miracles. And um, if I ask how many people have ever experienced a miracle, there would be dozens of hands raised because that's what, just what God does. That's his nature is performing miracles in our lives, something that we could not do ourselves, and he does supernaturally. But I want to talk about creating a miracle culture. To be inside of a, in the middle of a miracle, we need to develop or create a miracle culture, and that includes two things. It's very basic. It includes servanthood, and it includes worship. Um, Jesus simplified everything. Uh, a person asked him when he was walking this earth, he asked him, what is the most important commandment? That's what I want to do. What's the most important? And I, that, that's what I want to talk about. I want to, I want to teach in two different places in the New Testament, but they're both teachings of Jesus, but they go hand in hand together. And I don't want to teach one without the other. So if you've got your scriptures, if you've got your Bible with you or your phone app, I want you to uh, go to Luke 10, but I want you to go ahead and mark Matthew 6 also. I'll be teaching from both of those. And I want to read through Luke 10, verse 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, when, when the man asked Jesus, you know, what are we supposed to do? What, what are the commandments? What, what, are, what directions are we supposed to follow? Jesus put it back on him. What, what do you think? And he said, well, Moses said that loving the Lord God with all of your heart and loving your neighbor are the most important things. And Jesus said, you're right. There's nothing more important than that. In fact, you can't separate those. You can't love the Lord your God with all of your heart without loving your neighbor. You can't do that. And you can't love your neighbor in reality. You can, you can do some of the culturally uh, relative things that we consider loving in our society you can love them, but not truly love them without connecting with God. And so it goes hand in hand. It's so important. And I love that Jesus put it back on him and let the words come out of his mouth. You need to say that. I can't do that. I can't love the Lord. Go ahead. Just profess it right now. I can't love the Lord without loving my neighbor. Yes, yeah, some of you are not going to do it. Don't blame you. Because this guy says, and to justify his actions, which, which means... I haven't been loving my neighbor. I'll go ahead and tell you. That's what he's saying. He says, and who is my neighbor? Because it's, it's very easy for us to let 
everything get washed out with what we consider God's will for our life is. And we get consumed with our day-to-day that we don't even realize who our neighbor is. Is Is our neighbor the person who lives next to us? Is it the person whose desk is beside ours in our office? Is our neighbor inside of our home? Is our neighbor down the street a little bit? Who is our, is our neighbor that, that, uh, person that we will meet, hit on a missionary trip and, and meet them there? Is that our neighbor? Who exactly is our neighbor? Because I can't keep all this straight, Jesus. I, I got too many neighbors to be this person who is loving my neighbors. And to justify his actions, he said, who is, and Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. And this story is a very familiar story, but sometimes we read a story and forget to ask why he told the story. He was answering the man's question. He was letting him know who his neighbor was. He said, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and we call him the good Samaritan. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. We we understand that. Loving our neighbor goes hand in hand with loving our Savior. They cannot be separated. In fact, you could put them in in different orders. Well, you you first must must worship God to, to really know how to love your neighbor. But in reality, you need to be loving your neighbor so that you can find out who God really is. So that they go hand in hand. They're not... Step one and step two, it's more of yes and. This is called in the scripture, this this loving your neighbor is called hospitality. Now we have kind of watered down the term hospitality and we feel like this is a person who is good at inviting people to their house and cooking dinner for them, making them feel welcome and at the end of it all, making them feel like Man, this felt like home. This was so nice. And you would, you would say that person has the gift of hospitality. But the hospitality was actually taught by Paul, Peter, and John. And it wasn't this special trait or characteristic that some people have and some people don't. This is taught like this is what disciples do. They are hospitable. They have this hospitality, and it's a lifestyle. It's not what they do as much as who they are. 
These are what disciples do. Because when you take that root word of hospitality, you realize that at at first it means uh, a house for strangers. But that word also is connected to a phrase which means a place of healing. It is connected because it is important because it is a, it is a, a road. It, it, hospitality is a road for someone to get to point A, natural, what would naturally happen to something supernatural. Hospitality. But we need to understand what hospitality really is. Stephen Rhodes said this when I was reading a uh, study for this. He said, the most important virtue any church can embody is the virtue of hospitality. Hospitality is that house for strangers, and it is a place of healing. The cross may be the single most iconic symbol for hospitality. Christ opened up his arms not to somebody but to everybody. Not to anyone, but to everyone. In fact, when he opened up his arms that day, he could have spoke to the world, but he spoke to one person, opened up his arms and said, today you are going to my house. I'm going home, but you are going with me. You think that's not hospitable? We think, well, you know, they might have had a burger or two, and then he would have sent him back where he belonged. No, he was saying, today you will be with me in paradise forever. This is what we're not understanding about this word. It means much more than just being nice to somebody. It means opening up your life and letting them in. It may cause hurt. It may cause pain. It may be inconvenient. But God has called us to open our arms and say, you have a place here. Well, that's good for our church. But when it becomes personal, it's different. So how do we get from normality to hospitality? The bridge from normality to hospitality is kindness. Andy Stanley, I was was at his church in Georgia with my son and his daughter. We were worshiping together, and I think they're, they're worshiping with us online this morning. Hello, KJ, Brooke, and my grand dog. That's all I got. I got a grand dog, Quinn. Hello. The definition of kindness is lending someone your strength without reminding them of their weakness. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful definition of kindness? Because it's so easy for us to look down on people who are in need, who need a hand up. And honestly, it's easier for us to want to get credit from them from somebody maybe passing by and seeing us. Our motives aren't always right, even when we're doing the right thing. But true kindness is, and Jesus teaches about that. We need to, we need to understand that. But true kindness is not exposing that person's weakness, not making a show of it, but doing it for the right heart and the right reason. And that is because Jesus Christ lives inside of us. He breathes and works inside of us. And because he loved me, I love. It's not a personality trait that you are kind to someone. It's our position. It's our posture. Our posture is servanthood. 
Matthew 6. I won't read all the way through this, but I want, I, I had you mark it because I want you to read it because Jesus does some good teaching here on how to be kind to someone, how to, how to reach out to someone in what attitude, not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing and vice versa, not, not making a show of it, but really caring for somebody because they need care that day. Not caring for them because you like them or they're close to you or their family, but because they need you that day. This is what the Samaritan did. He saw, maybe saw this priest walk by. This, we're tough on the priest and the uh, temple assistant. We're tough on them, aren't we? We're like, we're like, you just, you just pass him. He's laying for dead and you just pass him. What if, He was thinking, I'm doing a good thing. I'm going to pray for him all the way to the temple. I'm praying for you. He might have even said that. I'm praying for you because he didn't have time. Maybe he was going to something important. Don't give him him a hard time because that's been us a lot of our life, isn't it? And the temple assistant, that's his job. He got paid to help people. And he even went to the other side. I'll pray for you. I got to go. That's my priest up there. I got to help. Sometimes we put off with prayer what we should be doing with our resources and our time. So the Samaritan stops. And because the man needs help, I want you, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. He, he bandaged him with his bandages. He poured his oil, his supplies. He put him on his donkey, took him to the inn and cared for him with his time and paid his money. Don't you under, under, are you, are you understanding what it means to be hospitable? Do you understand what it means not to put off on your church what your mission is today? You see, I, I feel like the easy thing about working with missions, I get to spend a lot of time with a lot of missionaries. The easiest thing that they do is get up in the morning and know what to do because hurting people is all around them. People that need Christ, people that need food, people that need resources, support. That's what they do with their life. That's the easy part. Now, it's very difficult. They've given up a life of American culture. They've given up a, uh, a money. They've given up time. They've given up their lives and some of their families just to serve other people. Those are very difficult things, and some of them are even persecuted for their faith. But the easy part of it, they know what to do when they get up. They are on mission. The toughest thing about being an American Christian is that we don't really know what we're to do with our time and our hands and our resources. Well, we come to church because we know we need to seek the face of God. That is absolutely the truth. But every day of your life, we are called to help someone. We are called to build someone up. We are called to be open our arms and to reach out to someone who is hurting. This is our, our life. This isn't something that people who have that personality do. This is what we're all called to do. 
He says in Matthew 6, this is how you give. And then he goes on later and teaches them how to pray. This is how you worship. So you're connecting with others, you're serving others, and you're loving God. You're connecting with him, you're talking to him. But in the middle of that, I I don't want to read all that, but I want you to read Matthew 6, 1 through 13, and I want you to pinpoint that because in the very middle of that scripture, there is this phrase in there that I love. It says, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And we love that, don't we? Sometimes we don't know what to pray for and we come to God and we understand that he knows exactly what we need even before we ask him. A father gets that. A little kid comes up and says, I'm hungry. Can I have a brownie? And normally the dad would say, brownies are good. They got milk, they got eggs, they got flour. You might normally would say that, but in reality, they know they have to answer to mama, you know? Brownies are not gonna get it right now, son. You know, so here's you some good nourishing supper. Just eat this supper and then we'll get to the brownies. All right. While I eat my brownie while you're eating supper. Usually. The dad knows in reality what, what that child needs, not what he asked for. The nature of God is to know that. There are some characteristics of God, there's some natural attributes of God that we accept for ourselves, and there are some that we don't accept. The ones we usually don't accept are the ones that puts responsibility on our lives that we don't really want. You see, that day the Samaritan knew something that the temple priest and the temple helper did not know that day. He knew that he was called on purpose that day. He knew there was was somebody hurting that nobody was going to stop for. It had to be him. He knew, he knew that his supplies were not his supplies that day. They were somebody else's. He knew that his time was not his time on that particular day that they were somebody else's. And when you know something and you know what somebody needs and you don't do it, It's a responsibility that we love to pass off. And this is what the guy was asking Jesus. Who really is our neighbor then? We can't stop for everybody. We can't help everybody. And so we help nobody. But God has called us to a life of not just serving him, but serving others. Not just knowing what he wants for my life, but what he wants for my neighbor's life. You see, you may not think that you can have that attribute, but I guarantee you that God will not hold something from you that is going to help somebody who is next to you. You can know something right in the middle, right in the middle of worship and servanthood. God puts this scripture that he can know something that somebody needs before they even ask him, that, that Jew who had been beaten probably wasn't awake enough to know what, could you, could you bandage this wound on me? Could you put something around my head? But the Samaritan knew he needed to meet that need. He had the resources at that time to meet it and was not worrying what it was going to cost him. The need was important, more important than the cost. Do we want that responsibility, though? I'd rather not know, right? 
I'd rather not know that every day of my life there was going to be somebody who needed me. I'd rather not think about it. The Samaritan knew something. And Jesus didn't acknowledge him for what he had. You see, there are a lot of assumptions with the Samaritan. One assumption was that he had a lot of money. But it doesn't say that. He said he, it said he had enough for that moment. But in fact, he didn't have enough with him. I don't know if he had access to it. But he didn't have enough with him to pay for what he felt like that Jew was probably going to need long term. He wasn't known for what he had. He was known for what he gave. There are very few times in the scriptures where we, where God says we're going to be judged. But there's one time Jesus said, you're going to stand before me one day and I'm going to say, why didn't you feed me when I was hungry? Why didn't you give me something to drink when I was thirsty? Why didn't you come see me in prison? And the people are going to say, you weren't here. I didn't know you were hungry. You didn't come to me because I didn't know you were in prison. I, I didn't know you were not here. But he said, there's going to be some that I say, you gave me something to drink. You gave me something to eat. You sacrificed when you didn't really have a lot yourself. You came and saw me when nobody would say, you were looking for me. You knew, you, you knew something that somebody else didn't know. You think God's going to keep that from you? You think if you ask him, God, help me to know what my neighbor needs. Help me to know, help me to look. Help me to be ready to sacrifice. Because when you do that, when you do that, it connects you with Jesus Christ immediately. A lot of you can't not get into a place of worship because you're trying to worship God at church. You're trying to make your connection on things that you see other people doing. But in reality, the quickest way to touch the heart of God is to touch someone who is hurting. You see, sometimes God didn't show up in your life when you came to church, but you find one hurting person. You show up in their life, and I guarantee you, you'll find the heart of God right there. He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for the wealthy. I didn't come for the ones who had everything that didn't need me. I came for, to be part of the hospital, to part, be part of the cure. I came for the hurting and the weak and the poor. I came to stop. I didn't come to walk by, and I didn't come to just pray for somebody. I came to help. I came to help. We are not mocked by what we have gained. We are mocked by what we have given. We are not marked by our awards, our accolades, or our accomplishments. We are marked by our scars, our selfless sacrifice, and our servanthood. We will not be known by what we've accumulated. We will be known by what we have poured out. 
Paul was talking to somebody. He said, listen, I've been beaten more than y'all. I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've been, I've been snake bit. I've been everything and I got all these scars to prove it. And he said, at the end of it all, I have just been poured out like a drink offering. My life has just been poured out. I'm not saying you have to go through a life of hardships. That's wrong theology. But you should be marked by the scars that you bear for serving others. Maybe that car you're saving for is not your car at all. Maybe that kid you bring into your house. And it changes your life. And it scars your home. And it extends your relationships. Costs you time and resources. And it ran dry. Those are the scars that mark your life. Jesus was not, didn't prove to his disciples that he was God because he showed them a picture of heaven. He proved to them because they saw him nailed to a cross. He showed them the scars. Paul said, that's the only thing I can brag about. (laughs) Is that a crucified with Christ it's not my life but it's Christ who lives within me there's power in perspective there's power in perspective you may say this is a miracle series this is not a miracle at all the Samaritan did the work he gave his stuff gave his time he stopped and even if you're the Samaritan like it would have been easier if when the priest prayed God would you just have healed this guy this doesn't look like a miracle at all to me it's costing me it's costing me but look from the perspective of that beaten Jew who was left for dead you think it looked like a miracle to you? Just think of that kid. You take it to your home. Just think. Don't look like a miracle to you. Changes their life forever. Looks like a miracle to somebody. You want to be in the middle of a miracle today? When I ask again, who wants to see a miracle Maybe before it was all about what we need. It's not the miracle. God's going to do that anyway. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. What he would be doing. He said, all the other things will be given unto you. Perspective. Sometimes we see miracles. Sometimes we are miracles. got a lot of things going through my mind. 
I got a lot of people going through my mind, don't you? Missed opportunities, maybe. People we walked by, people we prayed for. God has not come to condemn us today. He's come to inspire us today. He don't want you to miss one more. He wants you to know the joy of pouring out yourself so that someone else can live.